Welcome to Sunday Church. So glad you could join us. I did tell you uh, when I had the last meeting together that this Sunday's church would be a digital church service. So we put together some sound and song for you to enjoy before listening to me and I trust that you worship the Lord with it and uh, that you are blessed in listening to this message and that the Word of God impacts and touches your heart and it causes you to flourish and it causes you to have greater wisdom and understanding about your life and the way God wants to minister to you. And since you were in the church last uh, Sunday, I want to thank all the my exchanges for being here so that I can talk to some people and not just to an empty, empty, empty church. Well, praise the Lord. I submit my heart and I submit my mouth and I submit my body to Him and to the Holy Spirit to speak through me and that you will receive everything you need to receive even though you may be in your lounge or watching from a mobile device, wherever you might be that God would touch you meaningfully so that you would exchange your current life for a better life in God. So, of course, you know, I've been ministering now for some, for some weeks and months, actually, about the being beloved. And if someone is a beloved, they're precious, they're adored, they're loved, they're much loved or they're a they're favorite and uh, cherished, treasured, prized, uh, esteemed, highly regarded, adored, valued. And, uh, and so it's a great thing to be called the beloved of God. And it's a great thing to be able to declare to God that He is our beloved because we esteem Him, we value Him, we, we adore Him, we give Him the highest priority in our lives. And certainly if you do that, the thing that I've been talking about is honor. But I've also been talking about it in the context of the framework of the relationship circle that God gave me. And so uh, I'm going to ask them to put it up on the screen so that I can just remind you of the relationship circle um, that, we, that we have been talking about. And so obviously, again, just to remind you, we start with covenant. God is in covenant with us. Sent Jesus to be the one who establishes the covenant. And then he touches us and we touch him back with our, with our giving our lives to him. And then you go to the integration of ways. He tells us what his ways are and we make choices and we integrate our ways with him. And then we have strategic intentions because if you've been touched and you then integrate your ways, you position yourself to have his strategic intentions made known to you. And then divine productiv productivity follows after that. And then sometimes if you have a relationship with God of that significance, he might ask you to do a covenant thing. And um, that's always a very significant, significant thing that God will ask you to do. If, if he asks you to do it, it will be highly significant and highly costly to you if he does ask you to do that. And so... Again, I want to just remind you about honor. And, and, and last week, when we talked about it, 
and we have been talking about it. We talk about honor your father and your mother. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with, your, with the first fruits of all your increase. And, uh, and so, you know, if you talk about honor, then you talk about esteem, holding high esteem, respect, admire, look up to, think highly of, appreciate, value, cherish. And so when you read honor, then it's very similar to the word beloved. And you can see there are many, there are many things because if you really see someone as beloved, then there is an honor component to it. And an honor and, a, and, a, and, a, and beloved have a very, very big crossover. And so as I talk to you about the relationship circle, I'm talking it to you because, um, as I said previously, whatever you honor, you will draw to you. Whatever you dishonor, you will push away from you. And depending on your worldview and what are the influences that you are getting in your worldview, um, you will determine, because of the choices, where, you are, where your life is directed. If you remember, I, I ministered and I, and I was sharing with you that we are spiritually seated with Christ in, in heavenly places. We are seated with Christ. Naturally, of course, we are in the world. But Jesus prayed that we'd be protected from the evil one. So when we talk about relationships, for sure we can take that whole, that whole prayer and we can apply it to ourselves. And we can say, thank you, Lord, that we live in the world of relationships and we live in the world the way the world sees relationships. But we are not of this world. And so we are, we are uh, um, in the world, but we do not have relationships of the world. So we're in the world and we have relationships while we're in the world, but we are not of this world. We are sitting in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And we have relationships from that perspective. So while you're in the room, wherever you're sitting listening, and for you guys here that are in the auditorium with me, you can just say, say this with me. My spirit, My spirit is the real me. The real so say it with me again. My spirit... My is the real me. And so we, we have to keep reminding ourselves that, my, that the real me is my spirit me. Because we live in such a natural sensor, sense realm and everything that's impacting us with senses, sensory stuff, that we tend to always think about that this is our reality, this is who we are. But actually the real you is now the born again you, the spirit man where Jesus lives in you. That's the real you now. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that spirit man wants to have relationship with people the way God does. That's why he says we do not, we, we have relationships where we don't know you after the flesh, but after the spirit. Because we don't want to know about all the flesh stuff that you deal with. We want to touch your spirit life and we want your spirit life to touch my spirit life. And so we have relationship that, is, that has got a strong spirit life. So yes, we have natural things that obviously you've got to eat and drink and, and you've got to do some fun things and you've got to enjoy life and, and drive a motor car and shower and uh, so on. But, but th those, are, those natural things are required for our bodies to be here. And they quite, they're required for our soul to be in a place of peace and joy. 
But actually, <coughs> God wants us to live inward man-minded, not outward man-minded. So the spirit me is the real me. And so even though you're looking at my body, the real me is the spirit me. And it's the spirit me that's talking to you today. Even though my body's speaking words and you're hearing me, it's from my spirit that God is speaking to you. It's his spirit inside of me that is communicating with you. So as, I'm one, as I wanted to continue with this theme of honor and I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to continue with this theme of honor because actually honor is a choice. Honor is not something that just dawns upon you. It could, but honor is a choice. It's not, uh, it's, it's not something that um, anybody can tell you what it means to you. But you can make a choice, and how you, and how you work with honor is, is actually your choice. So, I, you know, because I've been blessed to travel with Brother Jerry Savell quite a lot, we've had conversations, and he, he said this to me on more than one occasion. He has said this to me on a number of occasions. He has said, you know, John, the modern-day world and the modern-day ministries and people don't really understand honor the way Brother Copeland and I live in honor together. He said, we, we have a level of living together in honor that very few people actually understand it and very few people live it. And so uh, you have to actually, and I wish everybody I mean, obviously it's not possible, but I wish, I wish people could be around them the way that I've been around them and, and watched them. And, um, and uh, you know, I've got some personal moments that I think that I've been able to record. And, and um, it might be appropriate at this season of our lives that I can now release it. But um, to be around Brother Copeland and be around Brother Jerry and watch them interact together, share together, to be, to be around Brother Jerry where Brother Copeland has invited him to do things and to watch them f flow together and, and the way their relationship is. But, you know, it's not just the personal things of what they do together that are really establishing honor. It's, it's, it's the choices they make to do things together or to give each other that esteemed, highly prized, high value thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's decisions that they make. I mean, Brother Jerry made a decision, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, maybe early in his ministry, when he was, when he was no longer working directly for Brother Copeland, but still functioning with him wherever. He made a decision that whatever happens to my itinerary, what, if Brother Copeland needs me, he has highest priority. I will do everything that I can to work with Brother Copeland and do what he wants me to do. So the result of it is that even now, and it's been like this for 30, 40 years, I, certainly I've been around him for 26, 27 years. It's been like that all the time that I've been around him. He, he doesn't actually put any ministry engagement in his calendar for the next year 
until he knows what Brother Copeland's calendar is, and until he is, and so when he knows what Brother Copeland is doing and what his part is, he's, that's his highest priority. Once that's established, he will go ahead and 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 make other arrangements. And even then, sometimes if Brother Copeland requires something of him, he will shift things and move things around if he can. Obviously, there's some ministry engagements, like he's coming here to South Africa next year in January, and and obviously he can't. Uh, he can't make a commitment to us and then shift that around too much to because there's a lot of stuff that goes into planning it, flight plans, or many things that happen. Um, but he might shift it a day or two if he can, if it, if it helps Brother Copeland. So that's, that's how significant it is the way they live honor. It's a beautiful thing. And so obviously the, whatever you honor, you attract. Whatever you dishonor, you push away from you. And so, so it's, it's clear to see that, that honor that exists between the two of them. It's a marvelous relationship, and it's a choice. And as you choose to make those commitments to relationship, those, those choices begin to impact your whole life. So I just, I did this many years ago, and I didn't do it in the kind of, way that I'm doing it now. Um, obviously, I have more insight and I have more revelation and, I've, and I see things. So I'm going to talk about the life of Abraham and I'm going to show you the whole, I'm going to show you the relationship circle, the way that God gave it to me, the relationship circle. I'm going to show it to you through the life of Abraham. At the same time, I'm going to show you the impact of honor and dishonor, and how it operated and functioned in the life of Abraham. And then we'll see how God takes us um, from here going forward. We'll see how and when God wants us to do things. But So I'm going to deal first with touch in the life of Abraham. And I've got, I've got out of all of the components I'm talking about, I'm going to talk more about touch because of the significance of God, how God had to touch Abraham before he could get to the integration of ways. So, in Genesis chapter 12, in the New Living Translation, and I'm mostly reading out of the New Living Translation, Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. So, uh, There's quite a lot of story there that, that, I, that, that uh, uh, is not told in the scripture. So the first thing is Abram's father had made a decision that wherever they lived, they came to live in Haran. And so then Abram kind of spent a lot of time in Haran. Um, and Abram's father lived 205 years. 
So it, this was still a time when men lived quite long on the earth. And so when, when God spoke to Abraham and said, leave the place where your father brought you, leave the place where you grew up culturally, leave the place where all your strength and all of your connections are, everything that made you what you are to this point, leave it and let me be your God, let me bless you and let me, let me do something significant with your life. Obviously, uh, this is no small interaction because at that time in Haran they, they worshipped other gods. In particular, they worshipped the sun god and the moon god. And, but they had lots of gods because Haran was a, was, a, was a trading city. It was a, it was a, a, a multi-diverse uh, multi cultural place where different people came and they traded. It was, a, it, was a, it was a strong city. So for Abram to leave the city, he was leaving the confines of the city walls that were designed to protect the people that lived there and the traders that came to trade and do the business. So it, it, was, it was a strong city with a strong stronghold, with strong defenses. It had a lot of peace and security because of that. So he had to leave all of that based on God said. And so he heard, he heard God speak. I mean, it's not clear how God spoke to him, but, but God spoke and said. And so then he did as God instructed. He left. So when you are touched by God, you begin to change the way that you live life and you begin to change the way you, you receive things and you do things but you're still in the touch mode. You're still in the touch mode because touch still makes meaningful change because touch is an experience and, it, and you, are, you are moved because of the experience. Can I, can I put it to you this way? Uh, if something emotional happens to you and it brings you to tears, you may get up and go and fetch some tissues and you may wipe your eyes and you may blow your nose and you may cry a little bit. You've been touched by something and it caused you to act on it. That doesn't mean to say that you're integrating ways with whatever has touched your emotion. It's just your emotion has made you do things. And so in this case, God touched Abraham with words, gave him instructions, and he obeyed. And he's leaving. He gets to the place where God tells him to be, and when he gets there, there's a famine. So he goes to Egypt. And he stays in Egypt until the famine is over. And now he's leaving Egypt to go back to the land that God gave him. And there's a lot that I can say about that because there's a lot about Abraham's life that is amazing. If you study it deeply and you see things in his life, there's so much to learn about Abraham's life. Um, but So he left Egypt, Genesis 13, verse 1. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. So his nephew, or his cousin, his, uh, his cousin not Lot, is with him still. He came from Haran, went to the place where God had for him. As a result of famine, they went to Egypt. Now they're going back to Canaan, to the land that God gave them. 
And Lot is still with him. But I want you to note what verse 2 says. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Abram was very rich. How did he get so rich? He already got touched by God and was already obeying God through the touch. And God said, I will bless you. Just when God says, I will bless you, it was already at work in Abram's life. I will bless you. I would like you to say, wherever you're sitting in your lounge, wherever you are, wherever you're listening now, I'd like you to say, God blesses me. I am blessed by the Heavenly Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I am blessed. I receive a blessed life. Amen. So the word says in verse 3 that from Negev they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel. They pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built an altar and there he worshipped the Lord again. I want, you to show, I want you to see that previously Abram had built an altar and worshipped God. This is still touch. Because he doesn't know this God that well. He's just doing what this God told him. He knew a lot about the moon God and the sun God and all of the things that went with all the other gods. But this God had spoken to him only once and he had obeyed the God. He doesn't know who this God is. and so But he knew this God was real because this God spoke to him. And so he worshipped the God. He built an altar and worshipped at that altar. I'm just putting it to you in those terms so that you can understand where Abram was coming from. So this is the only living God, but, but Abram is still getting to know this living God. So he worshipped at the altar again. Genesis 13 verse 12. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his, his, te his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. Tell me why you would take your tents and go and pitch them near the cities where so much sin was prevailing. It can only be because, uh, and, and Lot, this happened between Lot and Abram, Lot saw the land, he looked at all the land, he said, oh, this is like desert, that looks all green, that's where the cities are, that's where the trade happens, that's where success is, where all the people are. So he moved there, but they were extremely sinful and wicked people. And in, the, and, and in time to come, because, because he wasn't worshipping the same God that Abram was worshipping, he was just tagging along with Abram. And that's a big thing about Christians in church today. They tag along in church. They tag along in church. But they're not there to worship the God that they hear from and press into the God that they hear from themselves. Now, I'm still talking about touch. This is a very significant moment. After Lot had gone, so Lot moves out. Now, God has got to deal with 
He's only dealing with Abram. Because he spoke to Abram. He didn't speak to Abram and Lot and everybody else. He only spoke to Abram. So all these people came along with Abram. Now they're gone. When they are gone, there, are some, there is a place that you have to reach in your life where there's a lot of people hanging around you, a lot of relationships, and in sometimes they've got to get away from you or you've got to get away from them. You've got to be away from them so that the next thing can happen in your touch relationship with God. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, he speaks to him again, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west, I'm giving all this land, I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. A permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So, I mean, it's not clear uh, how far he walked and what he did exactly, but what it was clear was that God wanted him to move. And he wanted him to physically act out the blessing. He wanted him to walk in different directions. He wanted him to, he wanted to act out the blessing. So, amazing. Verse 18 says, So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. And there he built another altar to the Lord. Wow, this is at least the third time that Abraham is worshipping the Lord by building an altar and coming to worship at the altar for this Lord, this God that speaks to him. <clears throat> Genesis 15, verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. Now, the Lord has been speaking to him so that he can hear him. Now he's speaking to him in a vision. Now he can see him. Even if it's in a vision, he can see him. He speaks to him in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. This is amazing stuff. This is all about touch. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't have a son? Since you've given me no children. Eliezer and Damascus, a service uh, of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. Because he was a bond servant. You've given me no descendants of my own, so my, one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, so the Lord appeared to him in a vision, and he's speaking to the Lord in a vision. So, if you listen to Brother Hagen, there are different kinds of visions. There's visions that you can have in prayer. There's visions that are uh, visions that you can see, but they're not interactive. But it's clear this vision that he's having, he can speak in the vision. Kenneth Hagin had a vision like that where Jesus came to speak to him. And there was a, a demon spirit that looked like a, like a monkey kind of thing. And he was jumping up and down between Jesus and, and, and Kenneth Hagin. And Kenneth Hagin could see Jesus and they were trying to talk in this demon was making a big noise and he couldn't hear everything Jesus. He waited for Jesus to do something and Jesus never did anything. And then he said, 
to the demon. He said, shut up and get away. Paraphrasing what he said. Shut up and stop, stop it and go. And so the demon whimpered and off he ran. And then Jesus said to Abram, ah, to, to Kenneth Hagin, he said, I'm glad you did that. And so he kind of said, but well, why, why, uh, why didn't you do something about it? He said, I couldn't. He said, no, surely you, it can't be you couldn't. He said, you wouldn't. He said, no, I couldn't. Because the authority had been passed to Kenneth Hagin. Because he was the human on the earth. So he had the authority over the devil. Jesus is in the spirit realm. He's, all, he's done whatever he needed to do. The authority had been given to Kenneth Hagin. So the authority belongs to us. Um, so he had a vision like that. And this is a vision like that where Jesus, where Abram is, is seeing God speaking and he's having this conversation with him in a vision. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Now I'm going to go to um, chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's, uh, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. What did God just get through saying? I will give you children. Right? So now she's having a conversation. God said, I'll give you children. She says, God's prevented me from having children. So if God's going to give you children, it's not going to be through me. They are, she is interpreting God's will. She is not waiting for God's will. She is interpreting God's will. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I, can have, I, Sarah, can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Abram, where's your walk with God, hey, dude? You know, like, hey, has he not just spoken to you? But I'm, the reason I spoke the way I spoke about Abram was because I wanted you to understand where he came from with lots of gods and how he's been introduced to the living God, but he's getting to know this God. He doesn't know this God the way we know this God yet. I mean, we know this God because he speaks to us through all things like Abraham. All of he, He's learning who this God is and how he's operating and how he functions. So, when we read the story from our mindset and we look back on it, it's like, Abraham, why didn't you wait, China? It's like, hey... You m mistake. Well, they were learning about this God. Sarah made a suggestion, interpreting the will of God. He kind of says, I get to sleep with someone else. Maybe I can have a baby that I've been longing for. Sounds like a plan. So he agrees. So she has a child. She falls pregnant and she has a child. And I'm going to come back to the story. I'm going to move on from here. And I'm going to come back to the story a little bit later. 
I'm going to go to Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. So we all know that God's El Shaddai is your provider. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. So God is beginning to interact with Abram now and he's beginning to reveal himself not just as the God who's going to protect him and bless him and give him children and be the God that establishes him. He's now beginning to explain to Abraham and share with Abraham, Abraham who he is. And so he's saying, live, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. So when he says, serve me faithfully, he's actually making a statement to Abram. I need you to serve me as the only God in your life. And all of the other gods that have impacted you until now, you may not even consider those. There is no indication that Abram did. But God is making a statement. Serve me faithfully. Serve me faithfully. And live a blameless life. Uh, so what's the blame about? Well, the blame is not about how morally right or wrong you are. The blame is serving him faithfully. Do you understand that? There was no law then. And there was also no particular way that you had to live because cultures were living in different parts and had different ways of living. So when we read the word blameless, we tend to read it through a, a Bible holiness perspective. But actually what he was saying is, your blameless life will be to serve me faithfully. You got it? It's a very simple thing. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I just want you to see what happens when God says, serve me faithfully um, and walk before me blameless. And as God speaks to him, he falls down on his face before God. What does that tell you about what he's just heard from God? What's happening in him? I hear you, God. I've seen you in a vision. I've heard your words. And I honor your words. This is the way that I worship. I fall on my face and I now worship you. Blamelessly, faithfully, I'm giving you my all. Let me tell you, that is a posture it is a position that you can take as the rest of your life. Inwardly and outwardly, you can live a life of just bowing and worshipping the Most High God. So it's an amazing place to live. It's a wonderful place to be. I, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. Because he bowed to worship God changes his name because of, he says, you're going to live with me, you're going to be blameless, you're going to be faithful, I'm going to give you the children, so I'm going to call your name Abraham, which means father of nations. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, 
Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you, your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner. To you and your descendants, it will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Now God is speaking prophetically because he bowed down and he worshipped God. He received the words of God. God is now saying, this is what's going to happen. I want to just show you something, that God is still touching Abraham. He's touching him with a prophetic word about his future. He has not, he's not yet expecting Abraham to do anything other than to serve him faithfully and be blameless in his serving. Right? And he hasn't given him a chance to live it yet. He's just proclaimed it. Now he's still making a proclamation, a prophetic declaration over Abraham's life. It's still touch. Are you all with me? And uh, like I ministered previously a couple of weeks ago, touch is an incredibly an essential part of every relationship. And, and, and so if you can't touch people, you've got to close the gap so that you can touch. And I've spoken about that. I want to show you what happens next. So God is touching him. He's declaring to him everything that's going to happen to him. Now he starts to say, because I've given you my word that you, will, you must serve me faithfully and live before me blameless. Now I'm going to give you the next level of relationship, integration of ways. So I told you I'm going to spend most of my time talking about touch. So the rest will move along a lot quicker now. Verse 9, Then God said to Abraham, This is our part, integrating ways. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. In other words, serve me faithfully and blamelessly. Up to you, to serve the terms of the covenant. Integration, right? God's putting the requirement on Abraham. He went from talking to Abraham, touching Abraham, prophesying over him, telling him, blessing him, everything he's going to become. Now he's putting the requirement on Abraham. Abraham, your responsibility to obey the terms of the covenant, you and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day of the, after, this birth, after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household. And the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased, all must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Okay, so I, I'm wanting to just show you that actually the integration of ways here is a very simple act. This is not complicated, right? Right? 
He's not giving him 10 rules. He's not giving him 10 commandments. It's a very simple, singular act that must happen to every male. How old, how old was Abraham? 99. I want to just talk as plainly as I can, but tastefully as I can. The most, the most uh, vulnerable part of a male's body is his reproductive organs and one that he uses to clear waste out of his body. And this most vulnerable part of his body, God is saying, every male child, starting with you, Abram, must be circumcised on the eighth day. Abram, sorry, bud, you don't have a choice. You're 99, and you have 130-plus male servants in your, in, your, in, your, in your world. Circumcise them, Abraham. I mean, there's no doctor's room, eh? There's no theater. There's no anything going on here. It's, come here, boy. Pants off, knife in hand. Show me what you got. Let's do it. Trying to be careful with my words here. Hundred and something plus men all at the same time. It's a mark of covenant. It, co it costs something. It, he had, they, it cost pain. It cost dignity. It cost vulnerability. It cost a whole lot of things that when you are ready to give God your heart and be circumcised in your heart, it may, leaves the same mark. It's an ever, everlasting covenant that if you have children, you must teach your children, your children's children, to have a circumcised heart. It's a mark of, of a blood covenant in the heart. Integration of ways. Does it matter how painful it is? Does it matter how undignified it might be? Does it matter what everybody else says about it? Does it matter that no other cultures were doing it and only they were doing it? It doesn't matter. The, the, the thing about it is that it, it was God. They obeyed God with this. So Genesis 15, uh, 17, verse 15. <clears throat> God said to Abraham regarding Sarah, Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarah. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless many nations. Kings and nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100? He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, my Ishmael, which is now I'm getting back, my Ishmael that I had with Hagar, my Ishmael, will bless, I will bless him also. As for Ishmael, this is God now talking about to Abraham. I will bless him also, just as you have asked. Because there was an interaction between Abraham where God said, I will bless you, and 
he said, well, you're talking about Ishmael. And said, no, she'll have her own son. And then he said, what about Ishmael? So he asked God, Abram asked God to bless him. So as for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. Now, now there is this integration of ways. Abram's circumcised. There's men involved. Now he's going to have a child. And he asks God to bless the son of, of his servant or his wife's servant. I will bless him also just as if you asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abram. So many people believe that actually because uh, the servant was an Egyptian, many people believed that uh, Ishmael became the beginning of what is now known as the Muslim faith or, or the, those, those people because of the way that they are very kingdom and prince orientated, right? You always hear about Sheik, so-and-so, the high prince of this uh, in their kingdoms. Whether that's true or not, I can't say. I mean, there's no, anybody can have an opinion about it. It's quite possible. But certainly they are very fruitful people. They're very blessed people. They're very powerful people. And this is what God said Ishmael would be. So, on that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those who that, that he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins, just as God had told him. Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, was 13. Both Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on the same day, along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born or there or bought as servants. All were circumcised with him. The circumcision happens. God had spoken to him. He left him. You all with me? Integration of ways is established. Touch integration of ways. Chapter 18, verse 16. There's men that come to visit Abraham. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. These men that just showed up. Should I hide my, hide my plan from Abram? The Lord asked. For Abram will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just, then I will do for Abram all that I promised. So the Lord told Abram, I, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. So the other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained. The Lord remained. So the men came to visit, and then they were leaving. So was the Lord among them? So now he remained. Now he's going to talk to Abram. And he's saying, other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abram. Abram approached him and said, Lord, said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living in their city. And so 
this conversation begins between God, the Lord, and Abraham. So what happened is that God, because of touch and integration of ways, now God is telling him his strategic intentions, and he's giving Abram a chance to interact and to, and to change the possible course of, of actions. So, this is an amazing thing that God will come and approach you and say, even today, I believe this with all my heart, the Holy Spirit will say, my strategic intention is to, is to go and do this, but what do you say? But what do you say? But that's a level of relationship where you can only get to that place with God when you've already integrated ways. Amen. And because of the way Abram takes on the responsibility to intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, and eventually God and he agree that if there's ten righteous, he will not destroy the cities. And so when God gets there, he finds out there's not even ten. There's only Lot's family, and even Lot's family was compromised. How do I know? Because when they fled the city, Lot's wife turned back, and she turned into a pillar of salt, which means unrighteousness was in her because she longed back for the city that was unrighteous. So, I mean, even Lot's family wasn't that. Strategic intentions leads to divine productivity. Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord kept His word and did it for Sarah exactly what He had promised. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abram in his old age. This happened just at, at just the time God had said it would. And Abram named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham was circumcised. Abraham circumcised him as God had commandment. Divine productivity, integration of ways, strategic intentions, divine productivity is kicked in. thing that was impossible for 90 years of Sarah's life, 100 years of Abraham's life with Sarah, suddenly it's possible. Divine productivity. That's something, divine productivity is something where you've got to the place where God intervenes and can, only God can make it happen. I truly, truly believe that God wants us to live this way as a, as a, as a lifestyle in relationships with Him and with each other. Because the Word of God says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. If that's not divine productivity, I don't know. So it is divine productivity because we get into agreement with each other in the name of Jesus, in God. We can have a ten-time productivity, divine productivity increase. It's amazing that God has this, this picture of how we can live in relationship with Him and with each other. And so, when divine, covenant, divine productivity is established, then God can sometimes ask us to enter into covenant. And uh, Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Listen, Abraham's done everything God told him to this point. Why would he have to test Abraham's faith? Well, I believe he was testing his, if you will remain faithful and be blameless, then 
all the nations will be then. Now, this is that faithful and blameless test. Many people say, want to have lots to say about, about Abraham's faith. This is about the original thing that God said, faithful and blameless in the way that you live with me. Abraham called God. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And he chopped wood, and he went, and he did what God told him. He didn't even wait. God spoke that night. Next morning, he's up. I'm obeying. I mean, this is a big thing. I mean, I'm going to say this as a matter of course. If God gives you an instruction to do something, the longer you wait, the harder it gets. Because you, if, you, if you had to start thinking about, this is my only son, the one I love, the one that God's going to bless, why would he want me to sacrifice it? He would not be faithful. And he would not be committed to that. But he immediately obeyed God. And, and just as a, as a matter of way, if God's already increasing divine productivity in your life and He's asking you to do something, obey Him immediately. Tw chapter 22, verse 10. <clears throat> so we know what happens here. Abram picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here am I. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for I know... And for now I know that you truly fear God. And you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. This is, this, is, uh, this is an incredible thing. That he was ready, ready, ready to kill his only son. And God says, now I know that you have taken what I said. You have integrated your ways. I've shared my strategic intentions with you. My divine productivity has been there for you to give you a son. Now I'm taking that divine productivity back. Give me, give me your grown-up divine productivity. Give it to me. If I can put it this way, it's like God says He's going to bless you in business, bless you in business, bless you in business, and it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes something big, and then God says, give me back the money that comes out of your business. But God, all these years it's taken me to do this. Give it back to me. Because if you give it back to me in covenant, you show me that you fear me. You don't distrust me. You don't trust yourself more than you trust me. Give it back to me. Let me show you what divine productivity and covenant can do together. And he says, because you fear me, because you have obeyed me and not withheld your son, I swear by my name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars of the sky and sand of the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. I want to show you something here. Finally, that this is the first time that God says this to Abraham. There was a covenant thing that happened where God swore by himself to himself. But Abraham was asleep through that whole process. 
But this is the first time God is directly saying to Abraham, I swear to you, I swear by my name that this will happen. There is no greater, no greater name that God could swear by than all that he is. He was basically saying, I swear by all that I am that I will make this happen. Divine product and covenant. Wow. And so, I want, to, I want to talk to you about, finally, about dishonor. And I, want to, and, and I want to just remind you, and I said I was going to come back to it, and I've got five more minutes. You guys on TV, five more minutes, and I'll be done. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me. Go and sleep with her, perhaps. And so Abram agreed with the proposal. I read that to you already. I'm trying to get back to this point so I can show you the difference between honor and dishonor. So Abram had, had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Why? Because I'm more of a woman than you are. Because I can have children you can't. Anytime you see yourself as something more than anyone else, you are in a dangerous position because you categorize them as something less than you. The minute you do that, you're in a dangerous place. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is your fault. You shouldn't have slept with her. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. This is Sarah talking to Abraham. <laughs> uh, what's this about? Remember what I said earlier about this is God said I will make you. They tried to interpret. She interpreted the will of God. They both agreed to it. Now she's pregnant. There's a child coming. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant. It's not to have God deal, do this thing. She's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. And Sarah treated Hagar, Hagar so harshly that finally Hagar ran away. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? There's a lot I can talk. I haven't got time. Where have you come from and where are you going? When you're pregnant with something, where are you going from? Where are you going? Why did you do that? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress. She replied, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then, then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which is God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. The son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone. Is that the Muslim world? Just a question. He will raise his fist against everyone. I'm not saying it is, I'm just pointing it out to you. 
will raise his fist against everyone, everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility with all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that the well was named Ber Laroi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth, gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So I want to just show you the difference between honor and dishonor. Because there was dishonor of, first of all, God's instruction. Secondly, there was dishonor between Sarah and Abraham. Thirdly, there was dishonor in the way that Sarah treated Hagar. So, if you dishonor something, you, you chase it away from you. In this particular case, because God had said to Abraham, I will bless your descendants. Ishmael was his descendants. It wasn't his covenant descendant, but Ishmael was his descendant. So God had to send an angel to intervene because he had promised Abraham that he would bless his descendants. What a God. Even though there is dishonor, God still honors his own word. This is amazing. So Genesis 17 verse 18, So Abram said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No. Remember, so now God said to Abram, Because you asked for this, this is the asking, May he live under a special blessing. And then I read to you later on that God said, Because you asked for the blessing, I will bless him and he will have 12 princes and he will be fruitful. Remember? I'm trying to bring the circle back here. God, but God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a, to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and he, I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. I want to just finally say to you that I hope I've given you a picture through the life of Abraham of how the Word of God works from touch to integration of ways to strategic intentions to divine productivity to covenant. Come on. I mean, is this not a great and beautiful picture of how God... And you can see... Throughout the Bible, you can see all of these phases or some of these phases at work in everything the way that God deals with stuff. Praise the Lord. And so finally, my last words to you is to say that even if there is dishonor that you have, that you have created in your life, even if you have created an Ishmael, which means you've interpreted the will of God incorrectly, you've tried to solve a problem incorrectly that you yourself think you are the one to solve the problem, but God is actually waiting for His divine productivity to come upon you. So even though you might make a mistake, you may, you may have Ishmael's. God will still bless those, but they will not be the mark of the covenant that God has with you. And so, 
God is such a great God and merciful that He will still keep His covenant with you. But I'm pressing at this moment in my life, I'm pressing and I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to live in the full circle of what you've provided. And if there's, a, if there's something in covenant that you require of me and you ask of me, because I have touched you and continue, I've integrated my ways with you. You have shown me strategic intentions of many things that you have wanted to do in my life with me, through me, and continue to do those things. I've experienced divine productivity by, the, by God and His, His divine engagement with me. And so I'm at a stage in my life where I'm asking the Lord if there's something that you need from me as a divine covenant or a covenant that you require. I trust that I will be, I will be faithful to serving you. And I say to you, people, to those listening, I want to encourage you to, to touch God, integrate your ways with Him. Let Him show you the, his, the, his strategic intentions. Step into the realm of divine productivity. You can pray this, you can make this a declaration that you have a full understanding of this and that you live like this in your life because the rewards are exceedingly great. He is your reward and there's no greater reward than Him and everything that He has becomes yours. So I trust that you have enjoyed this, this teaching. I trust that you have received the difference between dishonor and honor and how God will turn dishonor to honor even if you, even if you have done the wrong thing, if you will obey Him still and faithfully serve Him still. You might have to make some corrections. If you've run away, you might have to come back. If you, if you have to, if you know, if you've had contempt, you may have to come back and submit to authority. You, these things are real things that happen if dishonor has been in your life and in your heart. But for honor, let's, let's give our lives to God. Let's press for it. Let's press for honor amongst ourselves and amongst the body of Christ and our honor for God. So I bless you. I pray that His peace rests upon you. And I pray that no weapon formed against you prospers and that you're blessed going out and coming in. And I pray that you will have visions and, night, visions and dreams because God promises that in the New Testament. And if you're, a, if you're a child of God that's pursuing Him, it's your right to claim it, that you will dream dreams and have visions. And I pray that for you in the name of Jesus. Now may His peace rest upon you. Peace. And may His joy flood your life in the week ahead. Thank you for listening and joining me on this digital service. God bless you.